to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Uh, Good morning, Hillcrest. My name is Tyler Van Wingerden, and I'm a physical therapist here in town, married to my lovely wife, Kirsten, for almost two years now. I've been attending Hillcrest for five years, and I had the privilege of going to Israel with the church in 2019, which was truly life-changing, but it's been a long journey to get to this point. I grew up going to several different Christian churches, and while the people around me seemed to find fulfillment in this setting, I struggled with a case of imposter syndrome. Reading the Bible was particularly challenging for me. And this made me feel like an alien who was lost from his home planet while in church. For instance, when reading the story of Adam and Eve, while everyone else was nodding along in agreement, my brain was stuck at, do we really believe that there was a talking snake? And also, if God knows everything, why did he put that tree there in the first place if he knew it was going to happen? I was too afraid to ask these questions back then. And even if I did have the courage to ask them, I was certain that I would be judged for not having enough faith. I would be told that what I needed to do was to think less and believe more. And I wanted to, but I just couldn't do that. And the result was that I decided that the Bible and I just weren't meant to be. As far as I could tell, the Bible had no relevance to my life or any of the questions that I had. In fact, the answers to my questions always seemed out of reach, and God seemed even farther away than that. So at this point, you might be wondering, how did I get from there to preaching a sermon today? (laughs) Well, they were really desperate. (laughs) No. Jesus turned my life around, and I'll say more about that later. But for right now, I just want to ask you, have you ever felt the way that I described Have you ever felt like the Bible is confusing and God is far away from you? I'm going to reread the passage we're going to be talking about today just because it's kind of a long one. So pay attention. And if you would, flip to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't that Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. 
Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill upon which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the cloud and went on his way. All right. And so I want to share with you guys today about how learning the context of this passage in Israel gave me answers to my questions about it. But before we start, I want to ask you, do you guys have any questions about this passage? Are there any parts that seem out of place or confusing to you? I'll share with you one huge question that I have, which is, what is the point that Jesus is trying to make here, and why are people trying to kill him for it? The part he reads from the Isaiah passage is nice, but after that, I get pretty lost. And if the response from his audience is to try to push him off of a cliff, I'm going to assume that he must indeed be making a significant point. I mean, how many times have you heard a sermon and the response of the congregation was to chase the speaker up a cliff afterwards? I hope that doesn't happen today. In the quest to answer my question, I want to start with the worldview of the ancient Israelites and how it was in conflict with their reality in the first century. The Israelites in this synagogue believed in a story based on the Old Testament of the Bible that God had chosen the nation of Israel to be his rescuing agents of a good world that had gone wrong. The problem was the nation of Israel was occupied by the powerful Roman Empire, and they had their own story about who would be doing what to change the world. The nation of Israel had to struggle with the fact that their story was not going the way that it was supposed to. Keeping this in mind, I want to talk about the land that this passage takes place. I had the opportunity to go to Nazareth in 2019 when I went to Israel, and I was filled with anticipation to see Nazareth. I mean, they call him Jesus of Nazareth, right? Like, surely this is a very important place. It was a crazy hot day, like well over triple digits. And there was a weather phenomenon occurring called a hamsin, which means east wind in Arabic. And I don't exactly remember why they call it that, but what I do remember is that the sky was very hazy, similar to the sky here when it's filled with smoke from wildfires. On top of that, we were all pretty tired and loopy from the constant traveling in the heat. I now have a little more empathy for the disciple Nathaniel when he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? <laughs> it is a tiny town with not much going on. The ground is very rocky and would not have been a fortuitous place to make a living in the agrarian setting of Jesus' day. It's located on a steep hillside, which means that to travel on foot down to the main roads that would take you places with more opportunity would be incredibly difficult. The people who lived here were stuck on this hill, and the Romans were happy for them to remain there. And to add insult to injury, the valley directly beneath Nazareth is the location of the most valuable land in all of Israel, which is called the Jezreel Valley. This land had rich soil, perfect for farming and becoming wealthy. It is located at the intersection of the Intercoastal Highway, Transcontinental Highway, and Kings Highway, so that whoever controls this valley has access to the entire world and its economy. It is quite literally a giant roundabout that allowed you to access any part of the world, and there was no other place like that in Israel. 
Whoever occupies this land has all the power, all the wealth, and all the access in ancient Israel. Here's a rare photo of a local of Nazareth. No, it's, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> Blending in well, I see. Man, COVID has really aged me. Wow. Anyway, okay. <laughs> okay, so now let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of the first century Jews who are living in Nazareth. While they were forced up onto this hillside, struggling to make ends meet, they were also daily looking over the Roman soldiers and Herodians occupying their lands and living comfortable lives. The citizens of Nazareth had a front row seat to the show that daily demonstrated to them what was wrong with the world. And there was absolutely nothing that they could do about it except pray that God would wipe out every pagan and Jewish compromiser in that valley. So now that we have some of this background information, let's look at what Jesus is saying here and see if it provides us some clarity. So after reading the Isaiah scroll, he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was an Israelite himself, so surely the people of Nazareth were thinking that he and them had the same idea about how the scripture would be fulfilled. The story of scripture would be fulfilled by God unleashing his wrath against the Romans in the Jezreel Valley, just as he had done before. Remember the story of Deborah and Barak, when God gave them the miraculous victory over Sisera and his massive army of chariots? That took place in the Jezreel Valley. Remember when God gave Gideon and the Israelites the amazing victory over the Midianites? That also took place in the Jezreel Valley. And they were waiting desperately for God to do this yet again to the Romans in the Jezreel Valley. But then Jesus does something they did not expect. He starts saying, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Okay, so what is Jesus talking about here? He is reminding his audience of two significant points in God's story in which God did not destroy non-Israelites, but actually sent Israelites out to the pagans to provide them with comfort and healing. God used the prophets of Israel to demonstrate his love towards the outsiders of his kingdom, not to condemn them or destroy them. You see, Jesus is telling the people here that they've got their story wrong. He is reminding the Jews of Nazareth that God's love has always extended to all creation, all people, all nations. God's ultimate plan has always been to rescue all of humanity, not to save one small group of the right people and destroy the wrong ones. The cause of the problems of the world has never been the Romans, Herodians, Canaanites, or Midianites, but the dark powers that have led humanity into sin and idolatry, God's people included. And God is here in this synagogue right now, fulfilling this scripture, but it's not what Israel expected or wanted. Jesus is telling them that he loves the Roman soldiers and Jewish traders down in that valley just as much as he loves the people of Nazareth. And he plans on not destroying them in the Jezreel Valley, but saving them. The people of Nazareth were angry, 
because Jesus was telling them that they were wrong about God's heart towards their oppressors. And I think we all know how people tend to react when they are told their deepest held beliefs are incorrect. And before we leave this story in the past, I think that we should ask ourselves the question, who's in our valley? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can see that we need to hear these words today just as badly as the Jews of Nazareth needed to hear it 2,000 years ago. So, that was a lot of work to find the answers to my question. Hopefully it was helpful. Um, I can imagine there's probably some various thoughts going through your heads. I imagine there's some of you who think, I can't do this. I don't have the time, energy, or ability to study the Bible this way. Well, you're in luck. Um, could I get a few volunteers? I've got some half sheets of paper here um, of different resources for you to start this journey. Here. Thank you, Jake. Listening to podcasts is one of my favorite ways to do this because I can do it while I'm putting away my laundry or doing the dishes. Or you can do it while you do your physical therapy exercises that you do every day, right? No, you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> but keep trying. Um, the books by Gary Burge are a great resource for small groups. They're short and they're easy to read, but are full of great contextual information. Some of you might be scared. You might be thinking, but what if I do this and I don't find the answers to my questions? Or even worse, what if investigating my questions brings more doubts? And I would say that you're right. That's a real possibility. But you know what? Jesus doesn't want you to believe in him because he said so or because the Bible tells you to. He wants you to know the truth because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And your questions and doubts will not change that. I also want to recognize that there may be people here who are not followers of Jesus and may be skeptical of everything I have just said. And to you, I want to say, you're in good company. I appreciate you because I have questions like you do. My request for you is that you would start by reading the book of Mark in the New Testament and seek genuine answers to the questions that you have. And I personally would love to hear your questions and talk to you about them. And last but not least, if you ever have the opportunity in your life, go to Israel. There is no substitute for actually experiencing the land where Jesus walked, and it will transform the way that you read and understand your Bible. In closing, I want to circle back to where I started. I finished my opening story at a point in my life where I felt no connection to the Bible or God. But as I mentioned earlier, that's not where my story ended. Jesus didn't give up on me or my constant questions. His love for me, combined with my curiosity, eventually led me to going to Israel with Hillcrest Church. And in July of 2019, while I was sitting on that hillside in Nazareth, gazing over the Jezreel Valley and reading Luke chapter 4, God did not feel far away from me. Reading about Jesus' heart for the Gentiles 
did not seem irrelevant to my life. In fact, I felt a gut punch of honest conviction and transformation begin in my heart. My trust in the Bible was not in question because understanding its context provided the clarity that I needed to understand what it was actually saying. And what does this mean for all of you? Well, if any of you are out here today and have been in my shoes and you question whether God is near to your life, I would like to assure you that the answer is absolutely yes. And while I know God's love for us and that he can meet anyone, anywhere, in any possible way, I think that a lot of times it requires some work on our part. And what I have found is that if I want the, reading the Bible to be relevant to my world, then I need to understand the world of the Bible. And I want to invite you to do the same. And I want to assure you that if you spend the time to do this, it will change your life for the better, just like it has changed mine. Thank you. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.